wishy-washy or, or soft or watered down. Or, as it says right in the middle of verse 10, am I striving to please men? See, a, a people pleaser would not be confrontative and definitely would not be calling down God's curse upon people. A people pleaser wants to make everybody happy. But Paul wasn't worried about making everybody happy. He was all about telling the truth, no matter what that truth might cost him. So that's really what he wanted people to understand in, in the first question he's asking there in verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men? Or of God? Which is it, he's asking. And the obvious answer, based on what he just got done saying, is that he is seeking to please God, not, not men. You please men by telling them what they want to hear. And of course, different groups of people want to hear different things, and therefore uh, a people pleaser is going to change his message to fit whatever group of people he's speaking to. But Paul did not change his message for anybody. Now, he, he might change his methods uh, or his approach uh, to people, you know, based on their culture or their needs or uh, their uh, understanding, whatever, that type of thing. Uh, that's what he was talking about back in 1 Corinthians 9.22 when he said, I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. So, yeah, his approach may change in order to be effective as possible, but his message never did. And that's what he offers as proof that he's trying to please God rather than pleasing men. God is pleased when we accurately and faithfully and unfailingly proclaim that which he has revealed. When we're working to please God, we don't change the message to fit the desires of what men want, and we don't cave in to the pressures of others to make the message what they want. We please him when we stay true to what God has said, no matter what it might cost. And it did cost Paul quite a bit to stay faithful to God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul gave just a short list of some of the things that it cost him to serve Christ. He says he was beaten time without number, often in danger of death. Okay, basically what that means is, is he was on the receiving end of a lot of beatings from people's fists Times without number doesn't mean that, you, that there was no number. It means it's so many happened so many times, he, can't, he, he just can't remember how many times he's been beat up anymore. Often in danger of death, meaning he was beaten so severely that he nearly died. You know, I, I got in a few scraps when I was younger. I've been punched once or twice. I didn't like it. Okay. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine literally being beaten to within an inch of your life. But for Paul, it happened many times. And it wasn't just that. He then goes on to say five times, 
I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I mean, think of all the scars that would have been all over his body. Everywhere. And at the end of the book of Galatians, in referring to the problems uh, those false teachers had been causing him, Paul says, from now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear in my body the brand marks of Jesus. Most likely, he was alluding to all of those scars that he'd accumulated over the years for faithfully serving Jesus Christ. And he calls those scars his brand marks. That was a very specific word in the Greek that was used in slavery. In the Roman world, there was a, a horrible practice for the owners of multiple slaves, especially if they received those slaves uh, from military campaigns, you know, conquered peoples and this type of stuff, and they had this forced slavery type of issue going on, and, and they would uh, take and brand those slaves, like we would brand cattle, brand those slaves with their mark signifying ownership. Horrible thing. And Paul is using that terrible imagery from slavery to say these scars are the brand marks proving that I belong to Jesus Christ. He's my owner. And that thought brings us all the way back to verse 10 today then. Paul asked them to consider, was he trying to be a man pleaser or a God pleaser? He ends his argument in verse 10 with this statement. If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Now, for those of you that uh, were here for our very first message in this series, you, you probably remember that the Greek word often translated as servant or bondservant in our English Bibles is doulos, which always, 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 always means slave. That's the word that Paul was using here. If I were trying to please men, I wouldn't be a slave of Christ. So what does that mean in terms of his argument? Well, basically it means this. You can't be a people pleaser and a slave of Christ at the same time. You have to make a choice. It's one or the other. Now, that is not to say that in serving Christ, you won't make you know, some people happy. You will. In fact, there are many people, most of the time, that will be happy with us because of the way that Christ commands us to interact and relate to other people. I mean, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves and to treat others the way we would want to be treated ourselves. We are taught to respect authority, uh, to be honest and fair and kind and helpful and considerate and to meet the needs of the poor and the hurting around us. I mean, who wouldn't want to hang around people like that? I mean, that's good stuff. And so then maybe you're thinking, well, wait a minute. I, I don't get this then. I don't understand. How can really nice people like that end up getting beaten nearly to death. 
How do they get 39 lashes from the Jews and stoned by angry mobs? If you're doing all those things that Jesus commands and you're treating people in that wonderful way that we are supposed to treat people as Christians the way God wants us to do it, how do you end up with brand marks, scars all over your body? And the answer is pretty simple. And see, as a slave of Christ, we don't get to pick and choose which commands we'll follow and which ones we ignore. That kind of was our focus last week. It is all. If you're a slave, you follow every command. And so, yes, we're called to treat people in a way that would show the dignity of their humanity and being created in the image of God and, and treating them in ways that would show this love and mercy of Christ through them. All of that we are to do, but we are also commanded and required to tell them the truth about sin and judgment and salvation. And that is where the offense comes in. No matter how gentle and, and kind you may try to be. Because the reality is the gospel in and of itself is offensive. And the offense starts with God himself. Do you ever wonder why there was such a strong push to get people to swallow the tale of evolution, even though there are so many scientific flaws in that theory that if it was really about anything else, it would have already been discarded by the scientific community. And yet, in spite of all those holes and blank spaces and contradictions within evolution, it is a belief that is held to as firmly as a tree holds to the earth. Why? Because... Without evolution, you're left with God. And if there is a God who created you and created everything around you, then you are beholding to that God and accountable to him. And that is offensive to man. But then the gospel gets worse. Not only does it tell us about God and the fact that he is over all, but it tells us about man. And man's very nature is to rebel against God's authority and any other authority. Man, according to the Bible, is sinful at his very core. It says there is no one who does good, not even one, according to Psalm 14. And this sin separates us from God to the point where man's natural inclination is to deny that God even exists. And God actually mentions those people in his word as well when he says in Psalm 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Well, how offensive is that? Now he's calling them name. God obviously forgot to read Dale Carnegie's book on how to win friends and influence people because that's not how you go about doing it. And then the gospel gets even worse. See, the Bible makes it clear that there's absolutely nothing we can do to take care of that sin problem ourselves and get into heaven. Man does not like to be told that he's not good enough or that she can't achieve her goal if she tries hard enough or is dedicated enough. But again, the Bible says that even our very best efforts are an utter failure when compared with the perfect righteousness and holiness 
of God, his absolute standard. Therefore, if you want to be right with God and to get into heaven, you need a Savior. You can't do it yourself. And that's offensive to people. And then the gospel keeps getting worse. Because, you see, this Savior that was provided by God, Jesus, has the audacity to say about himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And now he makes this claim of exclusivity. He's not just one possible Savior among many. He's it. He is saying that every other religion is not going to cut it. That in the end, no matter how sincere and dedicated a person was, if they did not put their faith in Jesus Christ, they are not going to make it to heaven. How offensive is that to the mind of man? And do you wonder why being a slave to Christ means opposition from the world? The Apostle John put it this way. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. You see, as a, a slave to Christ, you bring that light to the world. And sometimes... People will react strongly and adversely to that light. They don't want the light of God's truth shining on their beliefs or their preferences or their practices. So are you ready to wear the brand marks of a slave of Christ? I mean, that might not look like 39 lashes from the Jews or being stoned by an angry mob uh, or nearly beaten to death, at least in our culture right now. It might look more like being mocked or put down or called backwards or bigoted or intolerant. It might look like being marginalized in society passed over for promotions, shunned by your co-workers, labeled as an obstacle or hindrance to pro progress. At least right now, the marks might not show up so much as physical as they are emotional, relational, social, or economic. Are you prepared to wear the brand marks of a slave of Christ? Look again at what Paul says in Galatians 1.10. He said, if I were still, did you catch that word before? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave, bondservant of Christ. See, there, there was a point in time when Paul did worry about pleasing men. I mean, he wanted to be accepted. He wanted that affirmation. But now, as a slave of Christ, he no longer cared what other men thought about him. He no longer worried about his place in society. He knew his place. I'm a slave. 
I'm a slave of Christ. And you know the same is true for me and you. As a slave of Christ, there is only one person who matters when it comes to what others think about us. And that's the master. There's only one that we have to be concerned with pleasing. And that is Jesus. And if you think about that, this is really quite freeing. Because the opinions of others no longer drive us. If they're unhappy with me, well, that means nothing. As long as Jesus, the master, is happy. Our concern should not be with what anybody else thinks or says about us. As a slave of Christ, if we follow all the commands that he gives, we would never purposely be obnoxious, argumentative, or demeaning to others. But we would also not be afraid to share the truth of the gospel as God gives opportunities. And because the gospel itself is offensive, we can expect to receive the backlash of men and women who are afraid of the light, afraid of the pain and brokenness that will be exposed in their life. But that's okay, because we'll continue on anyways, because it doesn't matter what others think of us, and we have the promise from the Master that as we share, there will be some who will become weary of their brokenness and will receive the gift of grace and mercy just as we have received it. And in receiving it, they will find everything their heart truly desires in being a slave of Christ as we have. They, they will join us in, in being slaves of Christ and truly be free in this world. Free from the crushing guilt of sin, free from the hopelessness and despair that engulfs so many, free from the futile, endless pursuit of trying to find fulfillment in things that just can't possibly fulfill you, free from the fear of man and what others think about us, free because the master has set us free by being his slave. pray. Father God, when we come to understand and see ourselves as a slave of Christ, it truly does free us from the stress and pressure of trying to please others around us of trying to gain affirmation and acceptance, of being hurt when others don't view us kindly. Father God, 
we're so thankful that we have only one to please, and that is you. We pray that you would help us to have that singular focus so that we would not live this life in fear of man, but in joy of serving you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And just by way of reminder, the prayer room is always open to the side if there's anything you want to pray about today. Let's close our service together by singing the servant song. Stand, sit, whatever you want to do. Let's sing together. We. Oui.